Now, I, I know y'all ready for me to get on out the way, so let me, let me ask if you don't mind that you would stand with me and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me thank God for all of these preachers and all of these officers, uh, trustees, deacons, and others who are here. Thank you for your kindness on this occasion. 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5 is what I want to share for a few moments uh, here this morning, uh, beginning at verse 12 from the New King James Version. And it reads, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. Now we exalt you, brethren, warn them, those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is, what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated with your Bibles open. For just a few moments, I want to talk about becoming a more powerful church. Becoming a more powerful church, becoming a more powerful church. And just before I began, I want to I wanna hopefully put, put some minds at ease because this is my first time sharing here. And so I know because you don't know me and I don't know you, all kinds of questions are going through your mind. Uh, two that usually jump out right away one is, can he preach? That, that's always the first question. And then the second question is, how long? Uh, let me answer the second question first. The length that I will take today will depend on you. If, if you know how to say amen, then I'll get where I'm going quickly. If you don't know how to say amen, I, I'll assume that you're not understanding, and so I'll have to explain further, and it'll take me longer to get where I'm trying to go. So, so the, Kenny, Kenny, how long he's going to take will be up to you. Kenny, preach, I'll leave that up to you and the Lord, and you'll let me know later on. Becoming a more powerful church. This, this passage that I've read in your hearing is an interesting passage for me because it provides detailed instructions as to what it is that the church ought be about in order to become more powerful. I'm not at all suggesting that Mount Pisgah is not a powerful church. I'm not suggesting at all that you are not doing wonderful things. That's already been stated. But I will 
suggest to you today that every person in here ought to recognize that the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. That no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, you will always have room to improve. And so no matter how great you may be, no matter how wonderful you may be, no matter how outstanding a job you may be doing, there is still room to improve. And from that basis, I want to suggest to you today how to get that done. I'm convinced by this passage that in order to be able to do it effectively, you need at least three ships. If you're going to be an effective, powerful, productive church, you need to be connected to three ships. You need to be connected to leadership. You need to be connected to fellowship. And you need to be connected to worship. The latter three verses that I've read in your hearing are the verses that tells us or shows us how to be connected in worship. The middle verses, 14 and 15, shows us how to be connected in fellowship. And then verses 12 and 13 show us how to be connected in leadership. Here's what blows me away. I've been in church all of my life in some capacity. And during that period that I've been in church, it appears to me that even now, as much as church is neglected, as much as church is overlooked, the people who still frequent church the most are those who come for worship. And it is critical that you worship the Lord. So critical that John chapter 4 Verse 23 tells us that God himself is in search of worshipers. It is not by accident that worship is critical. God himself values the worshiper. He's on the lookout for those who will worship him. Because so many people are putting on, so many people are play acting, so many people are presupposing that they can do a certain thing, turn a certain flip, and that suggests worship to God. God says, no, I'm in search for the true worshiper. The fact that the text says that there are true worshipers means that there are also false worshipers. And so here he is, God himself saying, I'm, in, look, I'm on the lookout for true worshipers. God is looking for worshipers. But note in our text today that worship is the third movement in the ship, which suggests that before you can worship God, there has to be some fellows in the ship. And before you can have fellows in the ship, there has to be a leader of the ship. And unfortunately, for too many and too long now, we want to skip past the leadership and run past the fellowship and run right toward worship. And God says, no, you can't get to worship until you first stop by leadership. You can't get to worship until you spend some time in fellowship. In fact, Jesus himself said that if you have out with one of your brothers or sisters, you can't even give him an offering. He says, 
bring your, leave your offering, go and reconcile with those that you have owed with, and you and them come and come now and present your, you can't even offer to the Lord your offering until you connect with fellowship, and in our text today, it ain't even priority. The most important aspect of becoming a more powerful, productive church is this matter of leadership. Leadership. If you're interested in becoming a productive, powerful church, you must be willing to submit to leadership. Let the church say, submit to leadership. Submit to leadership. You must be willing to submit to leadership. Look at the text. It says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. If you're interested in becoming a more powerful, productive church, you must first be willing to submit to leadership. Submit to leadership. Submit to leadership. He says, we beg of you, we urge you, brethren, we, we plead with you to recognize those who labor among you. He says, in order to submit to leadership, you must first and foremost be aware. Be aware. Let the church say, be aware. Be aware. Be aware of what? The text says, be aware of the leader's labor. Be aware of the leader's labor. My question today to those of you who are here, do you have a pastor who has been laboring? That, that's a, that's a uh, pulpit pew question. It, it kind of means that when I ask you a question, I'm expecting an answer. I say, do you have a pastor who labors? A amen. Amen. I, I, have, I have been preaching a long time, and, and by God's grace and mercy, he's allowed me to crisscross across this nation and preach all over this land and country. And, and one thing that I can say unequivocally is that there are churches throughout this land and country who are starving for strong leadership. They're starving for a man or woman of God to stand and declare the word of God with excellence, with power and conviction. You don't need Humpty Dumpty set on the wall. You need somebody who's going to stand and rightly divide the word of truth. You need to have a man who will say it fearlessly. You need to have a man who will break tradition and introduce programs that others would stand back and look to see how it's going to turn out before it happens and not. But you don't have that. You have an individual who has labored in the word of God. You have an individual who spent some time in the word and, and the word of God making sure that what he's saying from to you is not his ideal, but it is God's written inspired word that has to be rightly divided because your life is on the line. You, you need somebody who's going to labor. You, you don't need a Saturday night special. 
You, you need somebody who's going to labor. You need somebody who's going to, who when you come with your issues and with your problems on Sunday morning for Bible study through the week, you need to know that when the man of God opens his mouth, that he has literally been in fellowship and in contact with God and that what he is sharing is from the very heart of God. You need somebody who's laboring, somebody who's not worried about if you like it or not, but is concerned that you hear the truth, the whole truth, and you need somebody who's laboring. Too many, too many people now are mounting the pulpit and trying to be popular, trying to be accepted, trying to be liked. I don't give two hoots in hell if they like me. I want to make sure that the word that I share is God's word unto us. Listen, listen, listen. You have a preacher who labors. You, you know how I know that? Because your pastor has literally taken the word preach and demonstrated it with his life. He is the definition of preaching. I said he's the definition of preaching. Okay, okay, let me see if I can help you. All of us know how to spell the word preach, I trust. P-R-E-A-C-H, preach. If you really want to see the word preach defined, all you have to do is drop the P, and you get reach. And then drop the aura, and you get each. And then drop the E, and you get ache. Preaching, when it's personified and demonstrated with power, is reaching each ache. And every Sunday, when you show up in here, you're coming to hear a man of God who's labored in the word, who's scratching your itch and reaching your ache. You need somebody who's, who's laboring. Be aware of the man's labor, but also be aware of his leadership. That's what the text says. The text says not only that I should labor among you, but are over you in the Lord. One of the, one of the struggles of the Black Baptist Church is this matter of leadership, this over you thing. Most, most, most Negroes have real issues with submitting. That's the King James cuss word in the Black Baptist Church, submit. It, it means to line up under and follow. And, and we have real struggles with that word submit. We, we have problems with fellowship, but we think everybody ought to follow us. We, we have problems following others, but we, but we want everybody to follow us. And, and the Bible declares that if a person if a man of God is going to rightfully lead the people of God, he's got to do it while being over you. Hebrews chapter 13 says it is his job to watch over you, that you are to submit to him so that when he gives his report, he can do it with joy and not with sadness. I tell our church that at least twice a year, 
every year I go through the roster and I pray and have, I give my report to the Lord every, every year, at least twice a year, of every person on roll. And there is at least one word, usually about four or five, but at least one word that I have to say about every person on roll. There are some names on roll I don't recognize. Imagine, here is the man of God going to God on your behalf and he doesn't recognize your name. My responsibility is to watch over you, but I don't know who you are. My responsibility is to lead and guide you but I don't have a clue who you are. It is your responsibility to submit under his leadership in such a way that he knows who you are. And here's how you know who your members are. Those who show up for Bible study are those who really are serious about God and his word. I, I knew it was going to be rough, but I didn't know it was going to be rough this early. I'm, I'm just getting started, and some of y'all done went to sleep on me already. The text says that you need to be aware of who he is, that you ought to be aware of his labor, that you ought to be aware of his leadership. What kind of leader do you have? Do, do you have a man who leads based upon what people think or who leads based upon God's command for his leadership? What, what kind of leader do you have? Do you have one who you trust or do you have one that you ignore? I want to suggest to you that if you're here this morning and you can't respect, trust, and follow this man of God who's pastor of this church, you ought to find you another church. Let, let, let me rush to tell you now, I'm, I'm, I've already got my ticket. I'm on my way back to Texas today. So if you don't like it, that's tough. Your pastor didn't say it, I said it, but I want to stand flat-footed and declare that I don't want nobody in the church where I pastor, Macedonia Baptist Church in Galveston, Texas, being there if they can't submit to me. The Bible says, the Bible says, that what God has done is he has placed your blessings in the hand of God's man. You, you ought to want him to make his report when he calls your name with a smile. What kind of leadership? But not only that, the text also says not only be aware of his labor, be aware of his leadership, but also be aware of his lesson. Check out if what he's preaching is God's word. The word in the second verse there is the word, verse 13, that in the verse 12, that word admonish you, the last word, last two words in the text, that, that word admonish is the word instruct. Check out how he's instructing you. Check, check out if in fact what he's teaching you actually happens. I tell our church all the time that, that if you want to know a prophet, you want to know if the person that you're following is a prophet of God, 
according to 1 Samuel chapter 9, the Bible says that the way you can know if he's a prophet of God is whatever he says will surely come to pass. Ask yourself, has your pastor been saying stuff in visions that you didn't think was possible and God brought it to pass? If he has, then what seems to be your reason for not following his leadership? In fact, if you're going to make a difference in this world, you need to be aware of who you have as leader, as labor, and as a lesson that he's teaching because your, your whole life is tied up in it. The text says not only be aware, but it also says be affectionate. In the verse, next, very next verse, verse 13, he says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. I know you know, I don't have to tell you, that this word here, love, is the word agape. It's the word that literally means sacrificial. It means to be so, so in love that you're willing to sacrifice in demonstrating your appreciation for who leads you from day to day. Let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. Is there anybody here who's been here the 16 years that this pastor's been here? Raise your hand. I just want to see where you are. All right, thank you. And all the rest of you have been here since then. All right. That, that suggests that you're here because he's here. The hands that went up were here when he got here. But the rest of you don't have a reason of any kind because he was already here when you got here. So let me ask you another question. Since you've been a part of this ministry, has your life been made the better? Then if your life has been made the better, how dare you not submit to leadership? And the text goes on to say that not only should you do it in love, be affectionate, but it also says, and be agreeable. It says, and be at peace among yourselves. Here, here, here's, here's a truthism if I ever told it. Usually, what kills, literally kills the pastor is not hard work, is not preaching. What literally kills the pastor is members not getting along. If you really want to help your pastor to enjoy leading and to be an effective minister for the rest of his life on earth. Get along with each other. The text says, and be at peace among yourself. You, you really want this to be a sweet 16? You, you really want this to be a happy 68th birthday? Be at peace among yourselves. You really want your life to take on a different perspective? Be at peace. What I've discovered is that more, more folk break out with foolishness that makes no sense in the church than anywhere else I've been. All, all around the church, you got folk who got one issue or another, and when you really cut through the chase and get down to the nitty-gritty, you discover it ain't about a much or nothing. Amen. 
It's just one person wanted to have that way over against the other person. Here's how you get your way. Be at peace. And if everybody is seeking to be at peace, then you're going to see great ministry take place in the Mount Pisgah church. I, I can tell y'all trying to hang up on me, but look, look. The, the text says that if you're going to be a more powerful, productive church, that you must be willing to submit to leadership. Secondly, you must be willing to share in fellowship. You must be willing to share in fellowship. And since I recognize that I'm lengthy, I'm going to cut the car across the field, but I just want to drop this on you. The text says that as important as worship is to God, leadership to God is priority. But then fellowship is priority. It trumps worship, which means God is not interested in your worship if you can't get along with one another. Okay, all right, y'all still acting up front on me. Okay, let me try it this way. How many of you all are parents? Uh-huh, good house, good house. Thank you so much. Then you know, I don't have to, I don't have to even stretch this, you know what breaks your heart the most is to see your children fighting one another. Amen, go right there. I, I mean, my father almost killed me because my sister, who I couldn't stand, because she was always starting stuff, and when the stuff broke out, she wasn't nowhere to be found. And so I had made up my mind that the next time she starts stuff, because my dad had raised us, that when you family, your brother or sister get into stuff, you don't leave them hanging. So she starts stuff. They start toward her. I jump in. When I look around, I'm fighting. She gone. I made up my mind I wasn't going to do that no more. The next time she started something, I was going to watch them beat the daylights out of her. I almost said beat the hell out of her, but I won't say that in here. And, and, and so I stood there as she started stuff, and she looked for me to come, and I didn't move. She realized she was in trouble. She couldn't wait after they whooped her something horribly. She couldn't wait to get home to tell my daddy. And, and my daddy said to me, I don't care if she's right or wrong. Here's what I want you to do. Don't leave your sister. Protect. Yo, so I need you all to love one another. Daddy said, what breaks my heart is for you all not to get along with one another. I wonder if there anybody in here feel like that towards your children, that you would be brokenhearted if your children are fighting each other? Well, if that's how you feel, how do you think God feels when he looks at his church and folk are in the church not getting along with each other? Mount Pisgah could be the greatest church in the world whenever she gets to the place where the membership gets on one accord and love one another, be at peace among themselves. The text says, in order for that to happen, what you're going to have to do is warn the unruly. Now notice, notice, notice verse 14. He says, now we exalt you, brethren. Warn those who are unruly. Y'all see that in the text? Warn those who are unruly. That, that means that there are some who are wayward. There are some who are idle. There are those who could do, 
what they don't do unless you beg them to do it. That, that's, the, that's the unruly. So as mature believers, those of you who are mature believers, you have a responsibility to literally call the idol member on the carpet in love. But you, you have a responsibility to say, we got to all pull this load together. That, that you, ain't, you can't be sitting on the, by, on the wayside while we out here hustling and, and, and getting after it and you ain't nowhere to be found. No, no, those of you who are mature believers, you have to go to that person who is a believer in the fellowship and say, come on and get under this load with us instead of always sitting back waiting on the pastor to do it. You, you do know the pastor's responsibility, don't you? Okay, since you don't know, let me tell you. This church should have a shepherd-sheep relationship. Shepherd-sheep relationship. The shepherd's responsibility, according to um, Jeremiah 3.15, is to lead and feed. The sheep's responsibility, according to Psalms 23, is to follow and swallow. Let me try it one more time. I said the shepherd's responsibility, according to Jeremiah 3.15, is to lead and feed. The sheep's responsibility, according to Psalms 23, is to follow and swallow. And at any point that the sheep decides to follow where the shepherd leads and eat what the shepherd feeds, then you'll find yourself grazing in green pastures and lying beside still water. Y'all sure working me hard up in here. I'm simply trying to say to you that there is a responsibility that God has placed on the mature believers to join in and help the pastor to provide leadership so that the people who are following will see it ain't just pastor saying it. All of us who believe in God is saying it as well. And if you've got something to offer, get off your blessed assurance and come on and help us carry this load. But, but not only does he say, does he say warn the unruly, but he also says, and comfort the feeble-minded. Check those who are, who are weight weary and, and worn. He said that the, the, the idle, the unruly, are those who could do but won't do unless you bag them. But the, the fainted, the faint-hearted, the timid are those who would do, but they are afraid to do. They want to do it but they don't want to step on nobody's toes. You know, kind of like they can sing too, but if they sing this song, sister so-and-so going to get mad. So rather than sing the song, they stand back and do nothing while sister so-and-so don't do it because you haven't begged her to do it. The, the reason that the church can't be all that she ought to be is because we got folk who got to be pushed and pleaded and begged to do what God calls, an, uh, listen, whenever God allows us to serve in any capacity, that's an 
honor and a, and a wonderful blessing and privilege from God that he would include something like you and me on his plan. Most of us will admit we're not worthy to even be in his presence, and yet he allows us to, to participate in his plan. Why won't you get involved? He says, I need to warn those who are unruly. I need to comfort those who are timid. But then I ought to also comfort those who are weak. Here it is. The first, the unruly are those who would do but won't do because you didn't beg them. The timid are those who would do but they don't do because they're afraid to do. But the, the weak are those who want to do but don't know how to do. They, they want to do what's right. They just don't know how to do what's right. They need somebody to come alongside and battle load. They, they need somebody to prop them up. Why aren't you helping somebody? Why aren't you propping somebody up? Do you realize that churches all across this nation are dying because, because churches all across this nation has gotten old? And the old saints are dying off without young saints coming along to step in. Okay, all right, y'all still looking at me funny. Let me try it this way. I, when I was growing up, uh, my, my uncle who raised me wanted to teach me some chores. He, um, he told me, he said, son, it's, you're big enough now. It's time for you to learn how to take it, honor some chores. I said, what, what you want me to do, Daddy? He said, I want you to start taking out the trash. I said, take out the trash? He said, yeah, I want you to take out the trash. I said, you mean that big old silver can out there? He said, yeah, I want you to take out the trash. Well, I don't know if you all had them here, but in Louisiana, we had these big old 30-gallon uh, silver cans with two little silver handles on them, and we'd come and take them to the curb for the trash people to come pick them up. But we didn't have no wheels. We had, we had, to, we had to pick them up and pack them. And, and so I said, so you going to let me take out the trash? He said, yeah, yeah. I went to school and told all the folk, man, I'm, I'm taking out the trash. I, it's a, it was an honor for me to be able to take out the trash. And so I, I, I went home that day. Next day was trash day, so I went back to the yard and went to pick up the can to take out the trash. And I I couldn't lift the can. I was so frustrated, so disgusted, because I was, had been given the responsibility to take out the trash, and I'd come up short. So I came back in the house with my head down, and the old man looked at me and said, what's wrong with you, boy? I said, I, I was trying to do what you told me, but I couldn't, I couldn't pick it up. He said, no, you didn't understand. I didn't mean for you to do it by yourself. He said, I'm going to help you. He said, come on. So we went in the backyard. He said, on three, 
Let's pick it up. One, two, three. We went up. Man, you should have seen me. I was strutting. I, I was big time, me and the old man, going to the curb, taking out this trash. You should have seen me when I got to school the next day. I couldn't wait to tell my friends. Now, I know that don't sound like much to you, but in my day, taking out the trash was a big thing. And what nobody else doing at my age. So I was, I was promoted to a higher level. I'm taking out the trash. I, I look forward to it and say, Dad, it's the time to take out the trash. He said, it ain't ready yet. Next day, tomorrow, tomorrow. Next day, Dad, can we go take out the trash? Yeah, come on, boy. So we go take out the trash. And about the third or fourth time we were taking out the trash, I was walking with my daddy. We was packing that trash to the curb. And, and I didn't see it. it was a stone or something in the grass. I tripped over it and fell. And my daddy kept on walking. with the trash. I didn't even realize that all this time that I thought I was helping daddy, that he was carrying the load. Daddy set the trash can down went and picked me up and said, you all right, boy? I said, yes, sir. I said, but daddy, you didn't need, he said, oh yeah, I need you, son. He said, what you don't understand is that I need you to learn how to do this because one day I'm not gonna be able to do it myself. So me and daddy got the trash. We took it onto the curb and put it down. And as God would have it, time passed, I started carrying the trash can by myself. I, I said, Dad, I got it from here. You, you carried it long enough. I got it from here. He said, that's what I'm talking about, son. I knew the day was going to come when you were going to be able to handle that thing. Do you know that there are folk in here who want you to come on and take on that load? But you need to partner up with somebody and let them get under the load with you? Do you know what happened? Dad had always told me that he needed me to be able to take it out because the day was coming when he wasn't going to be able to take it out himself. And that day did come. I remember going home on one occasion and the trash had piled up. My daddy was sick. He couldn't take it out. And I went to look, at on, look in on him to see how he was doing he was so pitiful. He couldn't really get around. He couldn't really make it. He felt useless. He felt like he was wasting his time on earth. I tried to encourage him and tell him, Daddy, we need you. We can't make it without you. He said, you don't need me. I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He said, you need me to do what? I said, I need you to help me take out the trash. Daddy said, but I'm too weak. I said, but I need you, Daddy. He said, but, but I, I don't know if I can make it. I said, Daddy, but I need you. I helped my daddy to get on one side of the can. I got on the other side of the can. I was prepared to pick up him and the can. But I wanted him to recognize what he had invested in me 
so that when he got old and couldn't do it anymore, there was still somebody who cared about him to say, I'll help you because I need you too. Mount Pisgah, the day is coming when the senior members won't be able to take out the trash anymore. But if they will allow you to, to get under that load with them now, there'll come a day when you'll help them when they can't make it anymore. That's what the church is about. It's about fellowship. It's about fellas getting in the ship, pulling the load together. I've taken too long. Forgive me for keeping you so long. But can, can I just run past this last one? I, I know I, I'm looking at the time. I know I've kept you too long. Will you just give me three minutes? The text says, if you're going to be a powerful church, you must first and foremost submit to leadership. But secondly, the text says, you must share in fellowship. Third and finally, the text says, and you must surrender to worship. The text says, look at verse 16. It says, rejoice always. That's, that's, that means you have to have some exhilaration. Rejoice always. I know you already know this, but let me just tell you, the word rejoice has a prefix. The prefix on the word rejoice is the prefix R-E. R-E, whenever you see it on a pre, as a prefix on any word, carries with it the ideal of again. So rejoice then is to have joy again. The reason that's important, church, is because everything is not joyful. There are some situations that you and I are in that are not joyful. But that's all right because the text didn't say have joy in every situation. It says rejoice in every situation, which means I can be catching hell right now, but I've had some joy in the past. So what I'm supposed to do is go back and get the past joy, bring that joy to this situation so that even while I'm catching hell in this situation, I can remind myself that the same God that met me in that situation and caused joy in that situation will bring up in this. Is there anybody in here who's been down and God picked you up, who turned your life? Is there anybody in here who knows that he's able? Let me, let me get out of here. Let me get out of here. The, the text says, rejoice always. And then it says, pray without ceasing. Now I asked myself, I said, self, how can anybody pray without ceasing? How can you pray 24-7, 365? How do you do that? Uh, I discovered that can't be done. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how saved you are. You can pray for a day or two maybe without stopping, but at some point, sleep going to take over. So it appears that the text is telling us to do something that we can't do. But God never told us to do anything we can't do. 
So the question is, how do I pray without ceasing since my body tends to shut down on me? And the answer is, has anybody in here ever um, watched a scary movie at night before going to bed? Huh? Okay. And then when you went to sleep and uh, it seemed like you was in that movie all over again, and there you were running for your life as if you were actually in the movie. You, you know why that happens? Because there's a thing called your subconscious mind. And even though you're not conscious of what's happening, your subconscious mind is still enacting the last stuff you've encountered. So if you go to bed praying, even after you go to sleep, your subconscious mind is still kicking in and it gives benefit for your prayer life on a continuous basis. God says pray without ceasing. Don't let nothing stop you from praying. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I'm, I'm through now. I'm through now. I'm through now. So I, my last minute. Here it is. Here it is. In everything, give thanks. He, he says, if I'm going to surrender in worship, I have to do it with exhilaration. Rejoice always. I have to do it with communication. Pray without ceasing. But finally, I have to do it with celebration in all things, in everything, give thanks. Here, here it is, my people. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for allowing me to come this way. Thank you for having the opportunity to celebrate with you. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me. But I've come to tell somebody here today that the reason that I'm in here today is because I serve a God who's worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, is there anybody up in this house who's got a reason to celebrate? Then the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Has God been good to you? Has God made a way for you? Has God picked you up? Has God turned you around? Then say so. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Yes. Ain't he all right? Hey. 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 I got a feeling everything going to be all right. How do you know? Jesus that told me everything. Yeah. So thank God for the man of God. Thank God for believers. But thank God I serve a God who's able, able.